How is greatness defined? In so many different ways. Depending on who you are, your circumstances, where you come from, greatness may look different to you than it does to your neighbor. Shakespeare, now don't get all excited, I'm no Shakespeare expert. In fact, this quote that I'm about to read to you, I actually had misquoted and was reminded by someone else that this was actually from Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. Some men are born great. Others achieve greatness. The rest have greatness thrust upon them. Quote from Shakespeare in Twelfth Night. No matter who we are, we are all meant for greatness. A greatness that looks different than how the world defines it. A greatness that comes from Christ alone. The moment in which we trust in Jesus, we are thrust into greatness. We step into it. That greatness is defined by a beautiful collision of meekness and power, of confidence and humility. This is achieved only through God's call on our life and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are made to be used by God for great purposes, but it's a process. At some moment in our lives, in order to begin that process, we must encounter Christ. We need to be in his presence. To be transformed into his likeness, we respond. It is in the encounter when we allow God to begin his good work within us. It's not unlike the process undertaken to create an arrow. The scripture verse you just heard Madison read was from Isaiah 49, 1 through 2. And we'll look at that in just a few minutes. But first, I'd like to tell you a story about my friend, Demas. Demas is a pastor of a small church in Pucalpa, Peru. Probably have never heard of Pucalpa, Peru, but you've heard of Peru, so we'll start there. Pucalpa is a city on the eastern side of Peru, located on the banks of the Ucayali River which is actually a major tributary of the Amazon River. Life is hard in Pucallpa. Things don't come easy for the people of Pucallpa. But Demas has learned a very powerful truth. A truth rooted in love. A truth rooted in greatness. Not the kind of greatness that we expect, but the kind of greatness that is unexpected. Love and community exceed all things in Demas's life. Especially the environment that he is in, it's so important that he holds these things high. The man absolutely exudes joy. You can see it on his face. He is joy. You would never know that he has struggled most of his life to make ends meet for his family, that he works two jobs to support them, that despite the two jobs, they still live in a small one-bedroom shack, five people, with a dirt floor that is crawling with insects. Despite all of this, he still smiles. Why? Because he's learned what it means to follow Jesus, to follow him fully, to be an arrow for Christ. On my first trip to Peru in 2009, Demas gave me this bow and arrow set. 
He and I hit it off from the very beginning. As we reached the end of our time together, he handed this to me. And he said, thank you, Jeff. Thank you for all that you have done for me this week. We went into the jungle and we built a church, a house for a pastor in a, in a small village on the banks of the Ukiali River in the Amazonian basin. He thanked me for what I had done for him. It wasn't his house that we were building. And I'm sitting here thinking, no, 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 no. Thank you, Demas. <laughs> As I held this bow and arrow in my hands, I couldn't help but think, wow, this thing costs more than he makes in a week. Yet he is giving it to me. It reminds me that we are all arrows. So every time I see this, I'm reminded of Demas. I'm reminded not only that he is a man that exudes the love of Christ in all that he does, that he is an arrow that not only God is using to encounter other people and teach other people about the love and grace and truth of Jesus, but also an arrow that points back to God. There's such power in the arrow analogy. This is a man who I see defining the arrow analogy. This analogy in many ways has changed my life and the way I view my purpose in Christ. So let's jump in by reading that scripture verse you heard Madison read earlier. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. I love the imagery of Scripture. There are so many places in Scripture that God uses his people to paint pictures of what it looks like to follow him. Now, I'm a visual guy, so I love any opportunity that I have to see an object in everyday form and see God in it. Looking at these verses, most scholars and theologians believe that Isaiah here is actually speaking on behalf of Christ, the coming Messiah. So, if we look at these words again, we look and we see that this is Jesus speaking. This isn't Isaiah speaking. This is Jesus speaking through him. Before I was born, the Lord called me. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow. This is one of the only times the descriptive word of an arrow is applied in a figurative sense as it relates to a person in the Bible. Most of the 26 that I could find, there may be more, 26 references to arrows in the scriptures, most of them are about just that, arrows. Straight up arrows that you shoot out of a bow and hopefully hit your target or your opponent. But there's one other example of an arrow being used in the figurative sense as it applies to a person. It's found in the book of Psalms. Psalm 127.4 reads, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Now that's interesting because now we're not talking about Jesus. Now the psalmist is talking about us. We're all children. We're all children of someone. We're all children of God. 
And here he's saying that we're like arrows too. So not only is Jesus like an arrow, but we are too. So what does that mean? If we want to be more like Jesus, perhaps we should take a better look at the deeper meaning of what it means to be an arrow for God. Now, believe it or not, arrows, being such ancient weapons, are actually prevalent in all kinds of the world today and all kinds of culture and, and all that. In fact, two of the most successful movies of 2012 featured someone with a skill with the bow and arrow. Can anybody guess those two movies that were top of the... Yes, right over here. Brave. I heard brave. Very good. Brave. And what other one? I know these. I know the students will get that. The Hunger Games, right? Okay, so here we go. Brave. Merida. Look at her with her bow and arrow. It's, it's all over the place, right? And then, of course, Katniss with her bow and arrow, you know, probably getting ready to try to shoot that deer before, uh, what's his name, Gale knocks the, uh, the throws the, the rock or whatever, and the, the deer scampers off. Um, I've seen the movie a couple of times. You can tell. So it's not really a stretch for us to use this as a tool in our faith, right? We see arrows nearly every day. We just may not realize it. So hopefully, by the end of this time that we have together this morning, you won't ever look at an arrow the same way. Because when I see an arrow now, I see Jesus. And I see that I am like one of these arrows. That I am like this shaft with the spear on the end and the feathers in the back, this is me. This is you. And hopefully, when you leave this place today, you will never look at an arrow the same way. So let's get to it. Like an arrow, we are cut from the tree. Now, a few of you may have seen me rush out here just outside the building a few minutes ago before uh, the, the service started and kind of tear this off one of our trees in the, in the church campus. Um, I'm going to leave that as a secret between you and me for now. Okay, so, um, but yeah, this, is, this was cut from the tree. Much like an arrow, in the olden days, the way an arrow was made was it was cut from a tree. It was a branch, much like this one. It was cut from the tree, taken out of its place of comfort and into God's path. Who's someone in Scripture that was taken out of his comfort zone? Abram, who became Abraham. You'll see here, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now, do you think when God said to Abram, Hey, you know, leave everything that you've ever known, your home, everything, and go to where I'm sending you. Do you think Abram was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go right now. I'm ready to go. Uh, let me get my, all my stuff, and then I'll be ready to go. Let me grab, my, uh, let me grab my, my cell phone. Let me grab all my stuff, and I'll be ready to go. Do you think Abram was like that, or do you think Abram was a little freaked out? He was probably a little freaked out, right? He was taken out of his comfort zone. But look what God did. In that one act of obedience from Abram, look what he did. The nations, as many as stars as there are in the sky, so that many descendants did Abraham have. That's pretty amazing. Just because of this one act of obedience, 
Now imagine that an archer is looking for a branch to become an arrow. He says to this branch, I'm going to cut you out of your tree, and you're going to enjoy speed and flight and hitting targets that I shoot you at. The branch says, what's speed? What does flying mean? What is a target? These are all new concepts to a branch sitting in a tree. If you are a branch, you will never know the peace you can have in fulfilling your destiny until you are willing to be cut from the tree. You have to be willing to let God take you from what is easy and comfortable and allow him to take you into places that you would never have gone without him. When we're cut away, it means we have to leave behind some of our old thinking. You're not going to be able to hit the targets you have defined when you have defined yourself as who you are instead of letting the Lord redefine you and turn you into something new. Like an arrow, we're stripped of our leaves. Now, do you think this would make a pretty good arrow just by itself like this? Probably not, right? All right, so it's got to be stripped of all of its leaves. It's got to be made into a smooth stick like this. Now, Scripture talks a lot about stripping off the things that hinder us, pulling out the things that keep us from Christ. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything, not like just this piece, not just this piece, but everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. As the archer strips the branch of its leaves, just imagine as if you, you as that branch said, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Don't strip that one away. This is the one that defines who I am. No, 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 not that one either. No, okay, that one was really beautiful. No, I worked a really long time to grow that branch. I really did. All the while, you as the branch are being stripped away. You've got to get rid of the leaves. The things that stop you from having speed and purpose, sometimes those are the things that you think, this is who I am. Maybe it's that besetting addiction. Maybe it's that thing that just pulls you away from God. Maybe, if you're like me, it's your smartphone. <laughs> I love my iPhone, guys. If you know me, you know that I'm on my phone a lot. But sometimes it pulls me away from what's important. And that can be God, too, and not just the other things that are important in our lives. Like an arrow, we are softened. We are drenched in God's word in order that we may be molded, shaped, and defined for his purposes. In Psalm 119.105, the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Have you ever seen a really straight branch straight off the tree, just like perfectly straight? Has anybody ever seen one of those? Are they all over the place? Are they easy to find? No, absolutely not. All of them have curves in them. They're just not fit to be an arrow the way that they're made. In order for an arrow to be straightened, it must first be softened. 
So the arrow maker puts a branch in a tray and then pours hot water over the branch to soften it. Or, in some cases, they even soak them in hot oil. God has given us his word and his spirit to soften us. When we soak ourselves in the word of God, we mysteriously, through the Holy Spirit, become pliable. We're open. We're moldable. It is only then that we can be made straight. Like an arrow, we're straightened. Like the straightening of a branch, we are to align ourselves with other believers, which helps prepare us for ministry. 1 Corinthians 4.17. Does anybody know who wrote the book of Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians? Anybody have any idea? Go ahead and just yell it out. Paul, very good. All right, so Paul. Paul had a mentee, if you will. He was a mentor for someone. This is who he's talking about here. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy. My son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. Timothy was like an arrow. Paul was like an arrow. But Paul connecting with Timothy, like an arrow that's softened. In the old days, when the, pretend this has already been soaked. This was wrapped and tied to a previously made straightened arrow. Much like a splint when you have a broken bone. And when it was tied to the straighter arrow, when it had already been softened and made pliable, what do you think happened to it? It became straight. We, as followers of Christ, as people who hopefully seek to make a difference in the world for him, In order to be made straight, to fly properly, an arrow that is not straight will not fly straight. It'll fly to the left, it'll fly to the right, it may not even fly at all, it may just fall straight to the ground. An arrow that is not straight will not fly and reach its target. Paul had Timothy, Timothy had Paul. We should each seek to find a Paul in our lives? Whether that's a pastor, whether that's a friend that's been following Jesus for longer than you, or maybe not longer than you, but but has this wise spirit, a Paul, someone to help you grow in your faith. But we all also should have a Timothy. We should also have people in our lives that we're pouring ourselves into. Because what's the good of having a Paul if the if you're not going to be willing to transfer that on to future generations. Maybe it's your children. And finally, like an arrow, we're affixed with an arrowhead. We're given the Holy Spirit with whom we penetrate our target and reach it. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The arrowhead reminds us of our mission. Our mission is to hit the mark. The mission of an arrow is to hit the mark. Our mission is to hit the mark that God has laid out for us. 
Now, that mark for you looks totally different than the mark that he has laid out for me. The arrowhead doesn't grow out of the arrow. You have to get it from somewhere else and stick it on, usually. This one is a different type of wood that's been wrapped up and attached to the shaft of the arrow. Now, I have no idea. I've never tried to shoot this before. Maybe I should try. Um, I have no idea if this is a well-made arrow and if it will actually reach a target. But I do know that they didn't just take the tip and whittle off a little tip to make it pointy. It needs to have substance. It needs to have something behind it that's different than the shaft that allows it to reach its target and to penetrate it fully. That's like the Holy Spirit, guys. That's like the Holy Spirit in our life. When we allow the Holy Spirit, when we are open to the Holy Spirit to move within us, it's like the arrowhead. It is what gives us the power to reach our target. Every person needs a reason to live. A driving passion, a calling that provides meaning and impact. That's your mark. This is your mission. We need to ask ourselves, have I more passion for the values of this world system than for the things of God? What are the goals in my life that align themselves with what God says about who he is and who I am? Not just I want to reach this certain point in my job, but how can I make a difference in one person's life, in two people's lives, in 10,000 people's lives just by being the arrow that God has called me to be. I heard it said once, and this was mind-blowing to me because I've always been somebody that tr- seeks to like teach to the group, teach to the masses. God humbled me big time when I heard Andy Stanley one time say, do for one what you wish you could do for all. If you do for one what you wish you could do for all, that one will do something for that one. And that one will do something for that one. It's much like the ripple effect that Joe's been talking about. The ripples of God's grace given to each of us through our relationship with one another. Be the arrow. We all have a target. I can't tell you what your target is. I can't tell you what your mark is. All I can do is stand up here and tell you, you know what? God has made you great. God has made each of us great. It's up to us to determine what it is that he is calling us to do and what that target is. We've all struggled to hit our mark. Uh, I continue to struggle every day to hit my mark. Being an arrow is not a one-time process. Being an arrow for God is not like, oh, I'm done. Yay, let's go on with our lives now. It's a continual process. We're constantly being shaped. We're constantly being molded. We're constantly being made into this arrow that God will eventually shoot and launch for his glory. But none of us are perfect. We've all struggled to hit that mark. 
I was reminded of that just two days ago. This is a story about my son, Luke. For those of you who know me, you know my children, you know that I have Lily, Luke, and Lucy, and yes, they are all L's. We went over that last time. Um, but you, for those of you who know me, you know my children are crazy, but they're also awesome. And I, at the heart of me, I am a family man. That is who I am. I'm a follower of Christ, and I am a family man. And I am a student ministry director third. And I love them. <laughs> I absolutely do. And I'll do just about anything for them. You parents in here in the room, you know what I'm talking about. You will do absolutely anything for your children. For me, that includes sleepovers in their room. <laughs> Campouts on the floor. I absolutely love this. This is one of my favorite things that I do with my kids. Uh, those of you who follow me on Instagram or Facebook, you've probably seen pictures of us like all packed together in one room. We're not even on the beds. I mean, that's just, that's what we do. It's all about creating memories that will last long after when I'm old, decrepit, and couldn't sleep on the floor if my life depended on it. Two nights ago, I offered a camp out to Lily and Luke on the floor of Luke's room. They enthusiastically responded, yes, 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 can we go to bed now? And I'm thinking, we need to do this every night. <laughs> now this, I was probably just as excited as they were, to be honest. Anything out of the ordinary is very exciting to me. I'm pretty easy to please. I mean, I get really excited when the mail comes. So, uh, so we began to settle down. I made the bed up on the floor. They laid down with a spot for me in the middle. How sweet, right? I prayed and we sang together. We do that every night. Then I left the room to go spend a little time with Kim before heading to bed myself, because she was watching Felicity, and I'm out there for like 10 minutes, and I'm like, eh, maybe I'll just go to bed. Um, flash forward to about 3 a.m. I'm awakened by an absolutely frantic Luke. Okay, he's doing the potty dance like I have never seen before. He's standing there, and I mean, guys, like seriously, he was dancing. You know, most of the time when kids are doing the potty dance, they're kind of doing this, or they're maybe hopping a little. Luke was like doing an all-out like rave in the bedroom. Like he was, he had to go. And I mean, he was, he even had like a little song that was going along with it. He was like singing about it. And so in my, in my just awoken from my REM sleep days, I said, Lukey, buddy, what's the matter? Because I was still just kind of like, oh, what's going on? He responds, eh, 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 like no words. He can't even say anything. I, using my incredible skills of perception, uh, reasoned that he needed to go to the bathroom. So I, father of the year, race him into the bathroom, and for some reason, he can't pull his pants down. I mean, I guess it's 3 o'clock in the morning, so whatever, but I, he's 3, so he should be able to pull his pants down, right? Well, he's having the hardest time pulling his pants down. He cannot do it. So I bend down to help him pull down his pants so he can go potty. So here I am, down on my heels like this, and I'm pulling down his pants. And apparently, apparently he had decided to wait until the very last minute to go to the bathroom. So, you know, I, toilet's here, Luke's here, I'm here, he's facing me, toilet's that way, remember? <laughs> toilet's that way, I'm this way, Luke's facing this way. Pull down the pants, as I get to about knee level, I realized, hmm, that feels strange. <laughs> I thought maybe I was losing, like, the feeling in my legs because I was standing like this, but no. He had let loose all over me, completely let loose all over me, peed all over me, all over the floor. We didn't even have to flush the toilet because none of it went in the toilet. 
So, you know, no risk of waking Lily up because we didn't have to flush the toilet. He had missed it all together. In fact, his body had waited so long, in, or maybe he waited so long, that he couldn't hold it in. He let loose early. <laughs> he missed the target, which was the toilet. To put it simply, Luke had missed the mark. That's Luke. <laughs> it's like my favorite picture of him. That's before we moved here in Raleigh. Obviously, now that's just a crazy story about how Luke missed the mark, and he'll probably kill me 10 years from now when you all are telling this story. But whatever, it's worth, worth it for the laugh now. Uh, but it's my hope and prayer that as I grow in Christ, that I will be more aware of the Holy Spirit's work in my life so I don't miss the mark, so that I don't go early, so that God can use me properly, that he will be ready that I will be ready for him to launch me for his glory. And that may come in an unexpected moment. It may come at the most expected moment, but it will come. He will unleash us as arrows to live for him. And now every time I see this arrow set from Demas, I can't help but think, wow, God, thanks for giving us such easy-to-follow visuals on how to be yours. I mean, can it get any easier than an arrow? Not really. It's really simple, though. Honestly, it all just comes down to loving one another, being the person that God has made you to be, faults and all. And over the course of your life, he will transform you, whether you like it or not, into the arrow, straight and true, that he has called you to be. What an awesome opportunity to be the one that God pulls out of his quiver and shoots, even if it's only for one person, that God has used you in a powerful way. Amen.